Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, it's Josh from Under the Table Hot Sauce. I'm here with my friend, the star of the show, Jimmy Farrow. Yeah, what's up, JB? Nah, nothing. It's been a hot summer, and for all your barbecue needs, you can go to UndertheTableHotSauce.com. 13 unique flavors to choose from, created and bottled in a Long Island kitchen. UndertheTableHotSauce.com. Let's go chow, JB. Let's do it. All the flavor, twice the burn. You need a body shop? You need engine repair? Auto Excellence. Collision Specialist. 631-261-6420. That's 631-261-6420. Auto Excellence. Elm Logistics. For all your logistic needs, call 631 631- Two nine nine three five nine five. That's six three one two nine nine three five nine five. Elm Global Logistics. Pride, performance, and partnerships. Things that I said, they hurt you again. And if you don't. 
Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I am your host, Angel Amoroso, and this evening I am joined by my good friend, Iron Man, Tommy Caro. Tommy. Hey, what's happening, Angel? How are you today? Good. And we are here to uh, actually redo uh, an interview. You recently received a, a Lifetime Achievement Award from ISPW. Yes. And uh, we did an interview about all that, about all your achievements in professional wrestling from uh, from start to finish. So we'd like to uh, get into doing that again. So without any further wait, um, let's get right into this, Tommy. Absolutely. I'm ready to go. It's my story. I should know it, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so we're going to go here by pictures. Yeah, and that, that helps make, make, you know, remember more that way. It really does. We find it, you know. it's very helpful in telling a story. So here we start. Um, do I start at the bottom or do I start here no, at the that, top? That, you, were, you were good. Okay. That's, that's perfect. Okay, so here I am. Well, what we'll do is I have to go a little before that to, to tell you about, you know, how I got exposed to wrestling. Because, of course, yes, I don't have it, start at the very beginning. Yeah. Um, how did you start? Who were you influenced by? Who yeah. took you to your first match? Who were your favorite wrestlers? Yeah. How did and you then, finally break into the business? Uh, you know, your experiences. We would like to know from ECW to NWA and beyond. So, yeah. you know, just I'm going to sit back and just absorb everything you're saying. So okay. just take it away and just tell me yeah. everything. Uh, at eight years old, I've been watching wrestling. I don't remember. I just must have turned on the TV. Bam. So from from eight years old to about almost 10 years old, I have been watching wrestling on my own. My uh, uncle was a fan. You know, it was just something that I it caught my eye on TV. So fast forward, almost to 10 years old, I'm sitting in the living room and I'm watching the TV and I'm watching wrestling and it's Ray Morgan doing a commentary from Washington, D.C. The big match for the night is a tag match between Bruno San Martino and what was his kayfabe cousin, Antonio Pugliese, a.k.a. Tony Parisi. So they announced the heels. I think it was Baron Cicluna and King Curtis. And the heels make, come out to the ring, and they announce first Antonio Pugliese. And he comes out to the ring alone. And then they, they're looking around, and they start to – announced Bruno, and they're like, he's not here. Um, must have missed his flight. That's the information that we're hearing. So at that point, what do the heels do? They put the boots to Antonio Pugliese, beat him down. All of a sudden, you see Ray Morgan turn his head. What? It's Bruno. He just made it from, came in from the airport. You know, his tie's hanging. He's got a suitcase with a, a shirt sleeve hanging out. Really cool stuff. Well, he comes in a ring, and of course, they're back-to-back. They, they run the heels off. I'm screaming. My mother comes running in, her, in the living room. She's like, what's the matter? I'm like, Bruno. She's oh my God, you're, you're, you're really making me nuts with this stuff. <laughs> uh, so instead of fighting me, she decided to support me, called my uncle up and said, do me a favor, take this kid to the matches. Now at the time, we lived in Belleville, New Jersey, a, a, a short hop, skip, and a jump to Newark, which had the Newark Armory it was one of the armories that they used back then, like they did a, a, often. And he took me to see Bruno. Um, he put me on his shoulders, and we followed Bruno leaving the ring. And I patted him on the back, 
and he turned around and made eye contact with me. Wow, that's it. You know, Bruno looked at me. I think he sweated. He sweat on my magazine. I think that's Bruno sweat. You know, I was I was gone. You know, and fast forward, uh, Phil Barlees, who was who you know, we did a lot of things together in the business promoting and so on. You know, they don't rerun those. Those TV episodes, they don't get rerun. They either don't show them or you move on. It's old news already. So we know that that day, two idiots like us sitting in our houses a town away, you know, watching the same thing. I haven't come across anybody else that I told that story to who recollects it. So that's how I got bitten by the wrestling bug. So now we'll fast forward to this picture. You know, all along I'm watching wrestling. That that goes without saying. And that was me uh, in the Junior Olympics. This is my dad was my example, you know. So you're that young, like I was at two, and saw that body bar holding the magazine. I already had the connection. That's what I want. I'm going to lift weights. My father had a, a big crate, a wooden milk crate of magazines, bodybuilding and, and weightlifting magazines. And I would go in the garage and sit there for hours. I got to tell that story about the little kid. It was an advertisement, this little stocky kid in the back. I don't know exactly what it was, but like I got mad. I'm like, this guy, who's he? I, I, I'll beat him. I'm gonna, I'll beat Aaron. That'll be me there, you know. So like, I already had the volition to to move in that direction. All right, so you can go to the next one. The other way up, yeah. That's where we worked out. Okay, not your padded, mirrored gym. In fact, the drain, not the drains, the uh, gutters were on the inside, up where the ceiling meets the, 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 the ceiling meets the wall. Because it was a stadium, this is a concrete stadium with a back, straight back, and your 45 degree angle where the people sat, that's underneath, that's where, where we trained. Uh, I was sitting in the parking lot of the high school when you're looking out that's what you see, the front of the stadium from the parking lot of the high school. So I was standing there looking at where I'm going to be because I'm totally infatuated even with the weightlifting. And I'm standing there and this kid's talking to me and I'm not really listening. So he says, did you hear what I said? I said, no, what? He says, well, are you going to the dance tonight? I'm like, what are you talking about? What dance? Every Friday night, there's a dance. I said, you know what, bro? Tonight, while you're out there dancing at 730, I'll be up there in that stadium, lifting weights. And he probably thought I was nuts, but like, I thought he was nuts. Like, I'm not going to no dance. I'm going to lift freaking weights in a leaking, dirty, dusty building. Uh, this place uh, was there because we had an Olympic champion in our town. You'll see him in a couple, uh, in a couple pictures coming up, the team pictures. And because of his, you know, renown, we had a, a stadium a gym. To work out. There he is, Phil Capoli. Three times he was in the Olympics. That's however many years that is. I used to think it was every four, but I, I don't know. It's every two certain sports. But that guy right there was about five foot six, 198 pounds with a 20 inch arm. And he would help anybody and everybody. The most humble guy you ever want to meet. And that gym for 20 years is a place where you went to become a man and then. You became a better man. So it's it's you know iconic in our town 
There's nobody that did. You either lifted weights or did drugs or you did drugs and lifted weights. That's the way it was. But great times, experiences, and set you up for life knowing how there I am getting, a, that's, I'm in a clean, in a, in a competition where I, I won the regionals and that's a trophy for it, uh, you know, right next to it. So at this point, I'm like 16 or so and I'm going to these meets on the weekends and I'm doing martial arts and I'm wrestling in high school and I'm watching wrestling and going to the matches whenever I could go. I snuck out to them a couple times when IWA came to, uh, to New York and challenged uh, Vince McMahon. Uh, I were, we were blown away when uh, it, it just came on TV. We we're like, what's this? We all knew who the guys were because we read the magazines, but we had no way to see them because all you got was the WWF programming. And now this came on, which was a similar feeling to when Southwest started showing up on TV. We were like, wow, this is great because we were stead, fed a steady diet of Vince's father product and later events. So this gentleman right here to my left, Renega Bay, we were sent by the town to the Junior Olympics in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 1974. How old were you here? So 74. I was born in 58, 68, 78, what, what, what? Wait. I said, uh, 58, 68, 15. 15 oh. years old. Um, you know, I'm skinny, but look at the little knot around my my knee, like I, the muscles were starting to grow because I was lifting these weights, but the type of lifting I was doing in competition didn't really give you a physique. And I got tired of that, which is why I eventually broke into bodybuilding. So you can, uh, you can go up that, and that gentleman there is no longer with us, but we were sent there together and I'll never forget it. It's an awesome time. And there you see me with the, I don't know what that is in my head, some kind of uh, mullet. You know, uh, and that's my dad to my left, Bobby Giordano, another near Olympian. And then on my right are two other guys. That's how we rolled. We traveled. We wore our T-shirts. I don't know why we didn't have ours on. And we went to these team meets and started beating um, Bob Hoffman's crew, which was Bob Hoffman owned and founded York Barbell that made all the weights. And he was like, who are these guys in these yellow shirts? How are they winning? Because we were good. We had the best talent. But that was some kind of like outing where we went and spoke or something. And this is, uh, you know, another trophy. Um, now, this building, we had moved out of the stadium temporarily and went here, which was a rec house. Eventually, we ended back in the other building. Now, upstairs instead of downstairs. So it moved around a little bit. But it never left us without a place to go. Because we had a team that was preparing for meets. They can't be shut out of their gym. We had the key. You know, Thanksgiving, me and my dad, we eat. We go down there, we work out. Walk across the field and get the key and open it up. And you smell that dungeon-like odor of concrete. Never forget, it sticks in your head, you know? Yeah. Okay. Sounds great. <laughs> move on from here. Look. Yeah, it was. And this is another team uh, trophy. Just a, another team shot. Just to show you, you know, we were a traveling team. And look at the guy. See the big guy with the big arms with the white shirt in the, uh, on the bottom? Well, up above him yeah. is me. What looks to be like a Jufro. You know what I mean? And not to be inappropriate, <laughs> but that's a funny way to say it. But you couldn't even get your hand in my hair. 
And that didn't last forever, though. And that's our complete team with, um, you know, the other the gentleman that we lost. Um, all great guys, you know, fun. But what they used to do, bodybuilding didn't have its own day and its own show. After the Olympic lifting, the bodybuilding came out. They put a little light bulb, and these guys stood on a black stage with flyers behind them. This is the Jufro that you're, yeah, you're referring that to? I think the water <laughs> rolls right off it. It's incredible. And then, like, in, in grammar school, I had straight hair. So I don't know. Weird things must have happened to my body, you know. Right. So right there, I'm, you know, done with Olympic lifting and just kind of bodybuilding now. It's about 160 pounds there. This is my first competition. Um, so when people say to me, uh, when I show them pictures of me at 250, and they say, oh, steroids. Well, first of all, I just took second place to a Mr. America guy that probably used steroids at that point. And for that show, 10 plus years, he was about 198 pounds, but shorter than me. But he couldn't beat my conditioning, but they gave it to him because he was more experienced and he was a higher level competitor. But in my opinion, natural. On that day, I was the better, the better, the better athlete. But politics play play a part. You can see the trophy there. I took second, you know. And you know, I didn't use any drugs at that point, you know. And that's the key. Uh, when you got a background like that, you get more out of it if you do use them, and you don't have to use as much because pretty much took your body to the limit naturally. That's the only way it's going to do you any good. So this was preparation for the Mister New Jersey, um, and I got to tell this story quick. The year before, 1982, I was just lifting weights. I was not a bodybuilder. I had not competed yet. We went to the Mr. New Jersey in the same building I was going to win it a year later and sat in the audience and we smuggled beers in. The prejudging is in the afternoon. So we're sitting there drinking beer and a kid comes out that I know and I see him and I go, shit, I could beat him now. I'm not even a bodybuilder. You know, and that's a, a bold boast. And the guy's sitting with me they're like, yeah. You're sitting here drinking beer. You're gonna, you're, you didn't even compete yet. You're going to win that next year? Yes. What I did was I had to qualify first at another smaller meet just to go into the Mr. New Jersey. I went there. I placed like whatever. I think maybe second. I don't remember. And then I went to the Here Institute where they would dip you in the tank to do your body fat. I was scheduled to be in the light heavyweight. So 176 stops the middleweight, which I ended up being. And it goes up to 198. So I wouldn't be the biggest and heaviest. I wouldn't be at the limit of 198. It would be about 188. So I'm good. I'm ready to go. The guy says, keep up doing what you're doing. We'll check you one more time. Then I find out that this guy, Casey Kachark, who had eight years experience on me, had already won the junior Mr. USA and the junior Mr. America. He's going in my weight class. I just use common sense. And I said, there's no way I'm going to beat him at 188 pounds with the experience he has. So I dropped down to 176 and three quarter pounds. When I told the guy what I was going to do at the Institute, he said, I'm not co-signing that bro. He says, your body fat will be just at about normal body function. Any lower, you know, things can happen. System shut down. You don't want that, whatever. So right here is prior. I'm still not in a complete contest shape still holding a little water and from there i dropped down i was in and out of the sauna dropped down and made the 
176 limit and beat 32 of the best guys, many of them returning several years to try to get to the top spot. And I walked in there. So I went to see a guy that owned a gym to ask him, you know, I needed some advice. When he saw me that day and saw my posing routine, I looked at the guy, Jose Guzman, who's ahead of me. And like, he looked like Hercules. I'm like, I ran out to watch him pose and I was still hadn't posed yet. Or I, maybe I posed already. Yeah, I came out, I said, I got to go see him. And like, in my head, I'm like, I'm not going to win this. I'm lucky if I get a trophy. So here I am sitting, waiting for the results. And the guy next to me that I had asked for advice, the guy that I thought was going to win was his guy. He goes, you know, you're going to win, right? I'm like, what? Like, I, like, don't even play with me. Just don't be stupid. I know I'm not going to win. He says, bro, your conditioning is beyond anybody in there. So they call up, all right, for middleweight honors. In fifth place, boom, boom, boom. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get anything. I, maybe I would have got fifth. Fourth place, Joe Smith from Atwood. I'm like, now I know I'm not getting none. Third place, so-and-so. And I'm like, I got my head down. I'm like, this sucks, man. I really thought maybe I could win this thing. Second place. And the winner of the 1983 middleweight Mr. New Jersey from Giordano's gym, Tommy Cairo. I'm like, what? He goes, get out there. And so I won. One shot, first time. Um, a year before that, I had never stepped on a stage. But I picked Amazing. it up with him. And, you know, a lot of people doubted me. Rumors going around. But I did it. And the kids that were training at the gym and were a part of that whole process, they referred to the year that Cairo won the jersey. That's what they said. They, they, remember that? The year that Cairo won the jersey. Like, to be a, a big shot to those kids was awesome because I was really Great. unaware of it until I heard it. And that is the key. Be humble. Okay? Yep. So that was, uh, I don't, unfortunately, I don't have, I didn't add a picture from me winning the Mr. New Jersey. I will. But this is the Mr. This was America. down at 175 around? No. Uh, this is now two years later at the Mr. America, and I weigh about 208 here. Oh, okay, wow. and as you can see, I'm not even flexing, and, you know, it was there. So I was happy with that. I was a top 10 uh, finalist. And then here we go to 1989, which is the very last time I stepped on stage. I have a little bit more muscle here. <laughs> I'm uh, 198 pounds. I had a spit to make the limit on the scale, and that was the Gold's class and I won the light heavyweight division. So that's my last. So all along these years, you know, you can show this one. This just shows you the kind of shape I walked around in most of the time, not even getting ready for competition. You look like Rambo. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And guess what? You know why that thing is on my head? I was doing sit-ups with a 100-pound plate. With my feet under the machine, behind me was a, a column. The weight, the dump weight was back there. And I would lay back and pull it across my body, over my head, and put it on my waist. Well, I, I leaned it, but I didn't lean it right. And it just fell down like this, busted my head open. And that's oh. why there's a butterfly bandage on my head. I see so, that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so let, let's, let, let me see. This is, let's stop there for one second. So, again, all along, I'm interested, I'm still interested in wrestling. 
you know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe I would like, like to do it, you know. So this is, let me think. Um, so it would be 87, 88, no, 88, 89, 90, 91. That's when I was there. This is going to be right around nine, 1989. So the last picture you saw, I was in training while I was on this building. That's the North Legal Center. So, you know, there's a story that goes with that with the wrestling. So let's think about this. I'm bouncing on the weekends. I'm in the apprenticeship program, going to school two nights a week, and I'm working 40-plus hours, and I'm going to start my wrestling training. So at this point, I've just begun. Uh, I started training in 86. So, I, you know, by the time I, that picture, 89, I had already broken into the business. So uh, in, in 1986, a little bit prior, I saw an article in uh, Wrestling Eye magazine about the EWA. So I called them up. So that was 96. So I had already been in the Mr. America contest. So I called up. I, there was a number. I was like, wow. Called up and I expressed my interest. They blew me off. I was off the phone in, in seconds. Eh, okay. No big deal. So I keep going about my business. You know, I go into Mr. America in 1995. Shortly afterward, when I read that article, I saw that they advertised a show outside in what they called the Wet Banana Sports Complex, which happened to be on Gary Capetta's parents' pier in Seaside Heights, New Jersey. Now, go back to about 15, I had met Gary when I was, you know, at, hanging around my high school. I would, you know, see that when they came, I would be hanging around, seeing who I could take pictures of or who I could, you know. I wanted to see what they were doing in the locker room. I didn't really care about the wrestling at that point. So I met Gary. He goes, listen, he goes, you got any friends that would want to come? I said, yeah, I got one friend. He's a wrestling fan. He says, all right, about 645, come around to this door in the back of the high school, which was my high school, and um, I'll let you in. He led me into the locker room, me and my buddy. We walked straight through the locker room, and what you saw back then was what was typical. Guys sitting in their boxer shorts, playing cards, and smoking cigars. And they just, because I was with Gary, so they weren't going to question it. I just walked through, and, you know, I said hello, like, hey, guys. And we went into the, you know, into the, the room, in the auditorium. So, you know, now me, fast forward, going to see these people. So I show up a little bit earlier than the show start, and I, I got a tank top on. And, I, you know, I was in great shape, as I always was. And they're looking over. And I see, at the time, I didn't know it was Ted Petty. But he was there. And Jimmy Ryan and Murdy Galam and Dennis Galam, they, they ran the EWA. And one, I think it was Jimmy Ryan, came walking over. Like, I just, you know, I had this. I was just, you know, standing there. First of all, you know, I already saw one or two matches. And, Wow. Okay, so I don't want to be too critical. So Jimmy Ryan starts, saunters over, and he goes, hey, he goes, wow, he goes, you're in some shape. I said, thank you, because it just came off the Mr. America contest. He said, well, did you ever think about breaking into the wrestling business? I said, yeah. I called these people. They treated me like a, an idiot, and uh, that was it. He goes, well, who was it? I go, you. <laughs> he goes, what? <laughs> I said, yeah, I called you. Different story now, right? You know, and I was... I was a little brazen because of what I looked like. And I had wrestling amateur and I had uh, uh, martial arts. And I was already doing 
just shit in my yard, just not in a ring. I have my own, my own federation, you know, like we all might have done, but I knew that it wouldn't take much for me to get acclimated. So I said, he said, well, would you like to, we're running a little training center, would you like to be a part of it? I said, well, I'll tell you the truth. If, if it's anybody that I saw tonight, except for one guy in a mask, the Blue Max, I think I could teach them, I'll be honest with you. And let's face it, I look better than them. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're right. So um, he said, well, as a matter of fact, you mentioned the guy in the blue mask. His name is Ted Petty. So there you go. I lucked out. I wound up training with Teddy. Um, not real long. Um, and in the ring that we had to uh, rinse the, you know, run water on the canvas because it was like 120 degrees in the summer. You know, the canvas was like burn, burn you. So uh, right. you go up a little bit, you'll see the beginning of my training. Um, I don't think we passed it yet, right? Nope, that's more yeah. construction, right? Or a little bit, that's a little bit after I broke in, but that's okay. That right here, you can see the log water water slide or whatever at the top of that picture. If you can bring it up a little more, the other one, yep, keep coming. There you go. So there we are in the ring, and there's the ride in the background, okay? So I'm out there, and I'm working out with this kid. Barnyard Brewster was going to be his gimmick. Unfortunately, um, he, I think he worked once at the Sussex County Horse and Farm Show, um, and that was it for him. But now you got to realize, I haven't seen Gary yet, and I don't even know yet that this is, is his peer. So while I'm out there, Gary Capetta, I, I look out and I see Gary Capetta. I'm like, you know, I'm probably 60 pounds heavier, at 50 pounds heavier at this point in a few years. And he goes... Tommy Cairo, is that you? I go, yeah. He said, what are you doing here? I said, what are you doing here? He said, well, my parents own the pier. And, that you know, they're running this little show. I said, wow, that's great. So we're going along a um, couple weeks into the training, doing pretty good, you know, catching on. And who shows up but Tom Savaldi, Tom Fernini. He comes over. He's got the cigar. He goes, hey, kid. He goes, come over here. He goes, I want you to take this business card. I want you to come up to East Lyme, Connecticut. I said, for what? He goes, what do you mean for what? Did you get hit in the head too hard already to wrestle? I go, I'm training. No, I couldn't even. He's like, you're you're fine. I was probably better than most of the guys he was using at that point. So yeah. I said, okay. Now I'm faced with, now it was a good while off. So I knew maybe I could get my stuff together. I had no gear yet or anything, you know. So Gary says to me, yeah, I heard that. That's great. I said, great. I said, I'm I'm still training. They're sending me up there. I don't know. You'll be fine. I've been watching you. You'll be fine. I said, okay. He says, you have any? You, uh, you don't have any boots or anything yet, right? I said, no. I'm in like my fourth week here. Um, I couldn't afford the hundred bucks that B and A boot shop wanted. Paris, Arkansas, B and A boot shop. You trace mm. your barefoot on a piece of paper with a pen, and you send it in. Gary peels off a crisp one hundred dollar bill. And gives it to me, says, don't worry about it. Here's the address. Trace your foot. Send it out. And here's the other address to K&H, Carl and Hildegard. They were the first ones and only ones back then to yeah. make your gear. Mm -hmm. So within six weeks, I have my trunks, my gear. And I take my, my butt up to East Lyme, Connecticut, work with Colonel De Beers. Now, if you go up forward a little further, you'll see um, my first match. From the Savaldi's, yep, the other way. Keep going. Past that. Keep going. I don't know why we, that shouldn't be yet. 
All right, that's still training. But you remember the, the, there was a picture that had the AWA. There it is. See the AWA banner in the back? Yes. So, although the Osvaldi's cheated me out of 40 bucks, now, this is something I tell these guys. I was making 100 bucks from the start. Yes, I started with Davey O'Hannon. His partner was Pete Reeves. I was introduced to him because he was my wife's, my, my wife's best friend was his aunt. So at 12, when I found out that Pete Reeves, who had an article I remember in the magazine, his aunt lived, was my wife's best friend. I'm like, I was over there bugging him at 14, you know? <laughs> so now fast forward, I'm working for these guys, like the very beginning, oh, I think it was over the top or whatever, but it was Davey and, and Pete Reeves. And um, I'm at, I remember my first match in Wildwood Convention Hall, they gave me a $100 bill. And the next time I worked for them, they gave me 110 now, you know, nice. find out that these guys are, you know, working for hot dogs. And even the Savoldi's as cheap as they were, they only cheated me 40 bucks. I still right. made great paydays back then. Yeah. Not like that anymore. <laughs> and this here was the scene of me meeting. So because we did a couple, like a little loop, a couple shots. And I met there and had the ability to talk to him for more than a minute. Vern Gagne, oh. I met Nick Bockwinkle, I met Dingo Warrior, which is the ultimate warrior early, mm -hmm. and a bunch of other guys, Nord the Barbarian, who said to me, I was trained by Teddy, who was a boxer. Teddy didn't have wrestling boots. He used boxing boots. And, of course, the boxers tie the laces around the top outside. So Nord, every time he moved, you could hear his pill bottles sloshing mm -hmm. in his bag. And his eyes were half shut, leaning over on the bench. He goes, bro, take your laces and stuff them inside your boots. I was like, okay. So I learned a valuable lesson from a guy who's half shot on pills. <laughs> but I appreciated it. And I have those pictures. I talked to Vern. And it was a great learning experience. You know, I put the uh, Colonel De Beers over um, without any offense which I never, ever did again. I did it once and only once. Now, this is, um, I think this is AJ. It's either AJ or Doug, his partner. Uh, but I think, I think they were the masked Russians then. I don't, I'm not sure. Right, not the but, super uh, destroyers yet. Not yeah, blue. right. I keep saying mm -hmm. executioners too, that's wrong. But this is, right. I, I got to tell you about that picture. Um, Tommy Fierro tells the story years later, after I've known him forever, that, I was the catalyst for him, you know, pursuing wrestling. I said, why is that? He said, well, you worked with my brother on that building that you saw earlier. And he told you when he found out you were beginning your career that his little brother was a fanatic. That's the, um, that's the Robert Treat Hotel in Newark, in the ballroom. You could see the, the decor. So I said, yeah. And I said, come with me. And I dragged him by the arm. And I brought him to the window on the 16th floor. You know why? That building is right across the street. And I said, you be down there at 7 o'clock Saturday night, and I'll get you in. And because the juice that I have, because I, I came in with people who knew of me, um, I was able to walk right in that locker room with a poster and have everybody graciously sign a poster, bring it back out, and give it to Tommy Fierro. Now, Tommy's brother is no longer with awesome. us, so I know it holds a special place in his heart. 
But that picture, Tommy was in that audience right there. <laughs> it's like, That's you can't great. make it up. Yeah. And this was just uh, down there on the bottom. But see if you recognize that guy's name. He was a, a photographer. Is it, it's not Napoliello, Napolitano, is it? No, it says, uh, I think Carino? Yeah, I, I don't know. I was, I always C A R R I N O. Yeah, I have no idea who that is. Anyway, right. yeah, it's just, you know, a pose I had seen somebody else do, you know, pointing at the USA. It was kind of cool. Black and white is the only way to go. It really is. All right, so this, this here is Nature Boy, Brian Walsh, under working for Carmine and Mitch. When oh. up to New England, took the ring truck and did a loop up there with Davy G, was one of the masked Russians. And I met uh, Brian there. Around what year was this, Tommy? This was probably um, 86-87. Because okay. it was not long after I broke in. It was almost in the beginning. So Brian Walsh, not unlike many people who like to get color, let's just call them cutters because it's very similar. It's a little bit of a, a problem because they can't wait and it, it's the focal point to them. No big deal. He graciously put me over and gave me the junior heavyweight championship for the IWA, which was Kowalski School and, and nice. his promotion. And so that was nice, you know. I knew, I knew it was only going to last a night, but I'll take it. So when I get back to the locker room after the match, I place the belt where his, his gear was. He comes in the locker room. He sees, he goes, Tommy. He says, you got to take the, he had that Irish, take that belt. And go outside. Now, this particular building, you can see plenty of other guys that were picked, uh, taken, photographed in front of this wall because it was like zigzag brick wall, right? And it was in this building in, in uh, Burlington, Vermont, that looked like a, Madison, a small Madison Square Garden. It was round. It had, you know, stadium seating. Beautiful place. And he said, you take that belt out there and you get as many pictures as you can. And you never lose an opportunity, even if it's for a day, because you can utilize that. And, of course, I have it on my wall. And next to it, so that's my first title. And next to it is my last title. I put those pictures together. So one night, uh, I, I go to take a shower. I think it was after the first time I worked on He got collar. I go to take a shower, and I'm like, what? It's stinging. Well, he left the blade on his finger for the last eight, ten minutes while we oh. were still working and sliced me up all over he goes, oh, I'm sorry, with a big smile on his face, you know. But great guy, talented. I'm sure it was an accident. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, with him, it, it was. He was a good dude, did nothing but want to help you. But that's why you got to leave that little end for a friend so you can find that end and put the blade back in there or throw it out. You don't leave right. it finger. Just I always had, fuck it. Yeah, I always had the ability, as Tony Stetson taught me, to put it back. Because I don't want to be caught throwing that thing, you know? Right. So I put it back over it. But if you don't tuck the end of the tape in, it gets melted into the, you, you can't. Little things that you learn. Um, yeah, so this is, again, Gary Capata. I got to pay him back. The man gave me my, my first pair of boots, paid for them. So this was something, I think it says MDA, right? Muscular dystrophy. So yes. I went and I did a posing routine, talked to the people and the kids. You know, and that was my way. You know, I would do anything for him, you know. Uh, 
uh, this is my dad um, getting me ready at the 1985. So this is a little prior. Um, 85 Mr. America competition. Uh, I think we, oh, doesn't matter. This is um, Asbury Park Convention Hall. I'm working a guy, you might remember him, Don Rock. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I, I don't even remember who we were working for, but, you know, I just assumed I was going over. I mean, look at him, you look at me, you know, no big deal. So, uh, oh, so the promoter comes over. I don't remember who it was. He said, you know, we, we got worked out. And we told him, he goes, no, no. He says, you have to put him over. You went over on my show. I'm like, all right. But me and Don Rock had already worked out a match. He blew up in about two minutes. And he says to me, just go right to your finish. So he, he, he uh, let me go over right in the middle of the match. And when the promoter came nice. back, he looked at Don and Don said, I blew, I blew up. What, what are we going to do? You know? So um, I didn't have to put too many people over after that. And that was the. So, so going backwards know, here. Yeah. Uh, what's this here? Going this backwards is, a little uh, bit. Be, yep. This will be, uh, again, right around the time I was doing uh, wrestling in junior high and high school. And. Um, Weightlifting. So I had to give something is up. Is this right? a jujitsu? What, what's that? What is that? Jujitsu? That's uh, that's yes, that's jujitsu. Okay, um, I recognize that. Yeah, I knocked out their uh, first degree black belt. Um, in the back, they used to let us put the gloves on, and he got a little cute because we were told that you know take it easy, and he he really stiffed me, and I wasn't trying to knock him out, but I stepped and hit him with a right, knocked him cold. They were like, oh, I'm like. You know, he hit me hard. I hit him back. What do you want me to do? So martial arts was a good thing for me. All right. So we're still, uh, that was, uh, that's, if you can go come up, like bring my head up towards the top and you'll see the magazine at two years old. Look, you see it? Oh, yes. There we go. Look, there there's we go. a bodybuilder doing the lat spread. Can you imagine at two? Like I already was infatuated. Crazy. It's not by accident. And this, of course, early in my career, that is Mr. New Jersey, Tommy Cairo, and Antonina Rocco Jr., Ted Petty. So I got to tag with my, and that's that kid, George Panaha. You remember him? The referee? Yes, yes. All right. And this, um, this I'm not sure when this was. I've got a fun, funny feeling it looks like Yardville, which would take us a little out of, Whack. Yeah, this is Yardville. There we go. That's fine. We're in good. No, Yardville's post ECW, isn't it? It is. Okay, no big deal. We'll just we'll adjust. This is just a picture that people should look at and understand that that's why you you you, sh you you know that's why you're able to do what you do without those people. You got nothing, and I always had the kids around me, so that was always great. There's the late great Dennis Corluzo. Yes. We, we'll do these. That's fine. Um, okay. That was in Yardville. Um, and you come up to the next one. Uh, that's me dropping an elbow on your boy. Uh, Derek Domino. Street. Yep. In Full Street. Of the Misfits. The Misfits. Yep. And this is in the back of that place, that building, with those crazy people that loved wrestling. I can tell by that brown paneling on the wall. Yeah. Remember, it was in the whole Yardville. Yeah, we all yep. took pictures against that. Yep. 
at this point, I'm carrying this NWA North American title. And, right. You know, thanks to Dennis, who put me in a bunch of matches with Dan Severn. Post ECW, I didn't have any trouble getting work because I actually got work based off of what I did there. So it was great. Look at that, man. That's beautiful. Is there another with Now, Yep. And here's the one with the no, no blue mats. And you wonder why you can't walk. Okay. What exactly. Or you have to have surgery now yeah, <laughs> because there just ring, wasn't enough protection. No. And if you look at that ring, it's one of the highest rings you'll ever work in. So that didn't help. Uh, okay. Yeah. So here we are. Um, uh, go scroll back up. I want, I want to show you that picture on the right. Uh, no, too far. The next set. Right there where it says plus six. That picture is Johnny Candido, White Lotus, Balls Mahoney, John Rickner, myself, and James Pillman. They were James Pillman and Lotus were both trained by Heidi Lee's father, Noopy. And you oh. know, Johnny Candido, when they were allowing him to get in the ring and his family just put the kibosh on it, we're not losing another. Chris wasn't dead yet, but they didn't like the business. And I guess they had a little foresight. Um, and sure enough, uh, they made him get out. Hmm. Yeah, that was at our training center. Two rings in there. Um, this is uh, also post-ECW. This would have been uh, at the Eddie Gilbert Memorial Show, wh wherever that was. And that's Domino and I. And on the caption, it says, there's not much you can do when someone's suplexing you on the floor. But Domino at least could stick his fingers in Cairo's mouth. I guess you could say left a bad taste in, in, in Cairo's mouth. He so, was always doing some kind of weird stuff. Yeah, but see, this is the hot shot, isn't it? Is that what this is? You, yes. Okay, so uh, Bob Smith was working for the, that group of, you know, conglomerate of magazines. He made sure he got me in everything. Magazine article, introducing, hot shot, best bet. And that was big for me because, you know, people saw it like I did, like you did watching as kids and, and getting the magazines. I lived my childhood, my teen years, in the black and white pages of wrestling magazines. So, you know, to be in there now. To be a cool. hot shot, you know, yeah. it's an honor. Right. Pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I ain't complaining. All right. So uh, this is... Um, we're going to make sure, have to make sure we cover everything because we've, we've skipped a couple of years, but that's okay. That was Danny Hodge and myself at the Grace Hotel in Shinyaka, 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 I can't even remember how you say it, but um, in Japan, outside of Tokyo. And I don't know who knows this, but the older guys will know, the more seasoned guys will know. He was famous for dropping H-bombs. That's Halcyon. And if you drop it in someone's drink, they're out, okay? And they used to oh. do that as a, as a, as a rib. Surely. So me having this information, me having this information, and being, you know, stuck in a freaking hotel room, the uh, smog was so bad there, you had to stay in a house, stay in an apartment. So, you know, there wasn't much to do. They brought us over days before our, our, our big match, and you didn't have much to do. So either Dan Seppin and I would go up and move the chairs off the carpeted area of the ballroom and roll around on the floor. Or we would go on the fitness trails they had. But when you got back, you know, there was no gimmick. 
you know, they, we didn't have anything to, you know, recreate. So I, I thought to myself, well, I know he's got to have them. So I went over there and I knocked on his door and he said, come in. We start talking and I go, bro, could you help, could you help somebody out with a, a couple of H-bombs? And he looks yeah. at me and he goes, what do you mean? I go, no, listen, I respect you. You're a great man, but I know you're holding the house now. Well, he cracked a smile and uh, he, he went ahead and gifted me a couple. And at least I was able to make them last and, you know, pass out because you couldn't sleep at night. The high-powered motorcycle right. all night. So that was a blessing. Anyway. And then yeah. Nick, Nick Bockley. Total gentleman, you know. I mean, he really was the image. Like, at the same time, you know, Hogan was. You couldn't compare the two because this guy dressed in a suit, you know. And here's Vern. Vern was another guy. He was just couldn't be any nicer, you know. He saw my singlet and he inquired about my wrestling, but because I didn't go beyond junior high, I, I didn't make, say anything really. Now, this is my dad, my late dad, myself, and um, Doc Diamond, uh, the St. Mary's Church in Manahawken, which many you may have worked there. Tom Rumsby used to run there. That's where we were uh, running one of my first few shows with Phil. Um, for uh, um, Force One Pro Wrestling. Um, and I was back there, you know, paying people. And my dad was with me. And here's Doc. You know, uh, when he found out that I keep that picture um, in my room where you can see it, he was so flattered. I'm like, of course, Doc. You know, you're represented in my room any day. You know, you're on my lifetime achievement wall for sure. So great guy. Sure. Always paid me top dollar. Yep. See, we get. Oh, go back. Come back, back to you and Derek Domino here a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Well, I got lots of color there. Yep. I got to tell this quick. So, so, my mother's coming to this show. She never comes. So, I tell her, Ma, go sit up in the way up in the top of the bleachers on the end where there's no people. Okay. I go in the back. I grab Tom Domino. And you know the. The, uh, that little window they usually have coming out of the gym. It's like got the wire mesh in it. It's just a little window like this. I said, right. come over here. He says, what? I go, look up there. You see that lady way up there by herself? No, cause he already knew. I said, here's what's going to happen. We're going to spill out of the ring like we always do. We're the furniture movers. What did, what, did, you know, what did Luke say? Move some furniture. We don't have to waste any time. Let's get outside. I'm going to drag you up there. And on the way, I'm going to grab everything, anything I can. You already have color. I'll be busting you in the head. And when I get you up there, I'm going to run you up and get right in front of my mother. And I'm going to smash your head with a can. And I'm going to beat you all the way back down. So this is the, the return trip back down. And I, you can see I got him on, a, on the, the stands. And there's my yeah. mother up there, right? So after the show, I went to see her. She's half crying and half laughing. She says, I didn't raise you to be like this. And I was like, yes. You know, if I could get my mother to say that, then I must be doing something right. She, exactly. she thought I was nuts, you know. I was already bumping in the house when she would hit me. I'd fly across the room for drama. Oh, boy. Now, <laughs> this is um, pre uh, post-ECW also. 
Okay. Right. We'll go back to ECW, actually. We're filling in the uh, the time okay. after ECW right now. So just move. Yeah. You know who, who I was working for? You know who Bad Attitude was? Yes, of course. The two brothers, the big guys. Mm -hmm. And they had a falling out. And interestingly enough, after a few years after I worked on a boardwalk for Gary Capetta, Dennis Corluzzo was running a show at the um, convention hall. And we were working for Darren and his brother. At first, Luke was involved. And another little outside arena up the street. And that's the night we went and took back the uh, Doc's belts, is the NWA tag belts. Oh, Dennis had, we walked into their show. We took the jiggy <laughs> down there, walked in, and I took the belt right off the table and started making my way back down. All of a sudden, I hear the cop car. Told him the story. He goes, nonetheless, you got to return it. Doc was just so tickled to death. I just walked in here and took that belt right off the table. You know, not knowing I was going to end up working for Dennis, but that's the way it was right. back then, you know? Um, so that was that was a funny story. And, you know, again, you know, I wound up working for Dennis after ECW, and he took care of me. This is at the Outlaws, um, which would be at the tail end of my career, and at, you know, still promoted after that. But we brought wrestling to the Tropicana, Co-promoted with the WWF, they would do their uh, convention on the, I don't remember how it worked, but during the day, and then we did the night show. So the tri-fold uh, flyer for that has WWF on it and our outlaws on it. So that was a, a big deal uh, to have that, you know, size 10. So, uh, yeah, Tropicana was a last. Um, I'm going to touch on this since we were here. And uh, I got all my friends. Uh, they all had a couple nights in, in the hotel free. Um, uh, you know, I, I was running a health club uh, and I met the owner and he says, yeah, I heard you wrestle. Because why don't you run something here? I said, to be honest with you, I was going to ask you, but I was going to wait until my 90 day whatever is over because I don't want if that goes south, the wrestling goes south, I don't want to lose this job. He goes, nah, that won't happen. I used to go down to the beach. Cousin Luke would come down. Pat Tanaka would come down. Uh, file a phony uh, report that he got camera equipment stolen. Patrick, so one day, with his story. Yeah, so one day, I'm sitting, I'm sitting at the desk, right? Here comes Patrick, because he would come and work out. You know, he would visit me. So uh, he says, I'll be right back. I got to run this down to the legal department. He had like a folder in his hand. I go, what's up? He goes, nah, you know, the camera equipment I got stolen. You know, and he gave me, he gave me the offer. I'm like, all right, so here at my place of business, where I work, you're coming under my jurisdiction, and you, but that was Pat, you know what I mean? So, you know, we make excuses for, for some people, um, and we probably shouldn't, but when so they- So here we got these Power Sports Production LLC, now this was uh, NWA yeah, Coastal, right? That was, uh, yes, it was, uh, NWA was, uh, One Nation was something that- we were holding on to that we were going to create later. But we the Outlaws of Wrestling. Yes, and Outlaws was the Tropicana, mm -hmm. and, you know, the NWA was, um, you know, what I did with uh, Freddie and Phil. So, you know, okay. we put we put those, it was nice to have that logo. Now, this is, wow. There's Dick Worley, the sweetest man I ever met, and when he met my wife for the first time, he said to her, I said, Dick, I'd like to introduce you to my wife, Alva. So he looked at me. He looked at her. He says, you're married to this guy? 
She said, yep. He goes, my condolences. Yeah. Now, I don't know if people in other, you know, areas of life have this, but there's no greater compliment than he could have given me by saying that. Because you can only say that to uh, about or to people that you have a certain relationship with. All that means is he loves you to death when he says that. That's not a knock. You know, that's right. a knock by somebody who doesn't know you enough to say that. Not him. The man. That guy is no better man. So I found out after he passed um, in a post I, I responded to, and it was his daughter. So she mess- got me a messenger, and she said, I didn't really necessarily worry about putting it out there, but I wanted to let you know, in case you didn't, my father loved you. He thought the world of you. Every time he came home for a show that you were on, boy, that Tommy Carter, every time I see him, he gets better. Now, there's a good guy. There's a guy that's not going to let this business you know, ruin him. I was like, I don't want to cry, you know, because what a, a, a fine man and stood only 5'3", but it felt like he was 6'6". One of those guys that could pull it off. The best. And this is um, this is uh, at a convention where I might I met Mighty Mike Kimmel. You know who that is? Mike Marvel. Anyway, uh, he's an author, very an actor, very smart guy, and he he took that picture. Um, that was very much in the beginning. Uh, this is not too long ago. That's Little Guido, Tommy Rich, and myself. And as you know, uh, our debut match for ECW was with Damian Stone, a.k.a. Little Guido. Um, I taught him how to make the blade that Tony taught me how to make in my apartment down in Little Egg Harbor where we stayed while we were going to Philly. So I brought him around, you know, everywhere we went. Now, this is funny. This shows a like-minded attitude. Look at the pursed lips. Neither one of us, we didn't say to each other, well, purse your lips. That's the picture. And look at that. Isn't that funny? Right. It is. You know what? I'm a badass. You know, I don't have to say it. I don't have to, don't have to say it. Look at my face. Oh, um, what's this? Yeah. All right. So here's what happened. In my town, they were putting in a new muffler shop, Speedy Muffler Tank. They advertised the legendary Bruno San Martino will be making an appearance for the grand opening. Wow. Nothing was going to keep me from going. I was. This is uh, maybe um, a year or two before I broke in. Um, so I get there. Nobody shows up but me. An hour and a half, I sat there with Bruno, just shooting the breeze, you know. And then years later, after I'd been in the business and worked at Sun, I saw him. And I said, do you remember young kid? And he, and he, goes, he looks at me. I, I know you look familiar. At the muffler shop in Belleville. I came to meet you. He goes, yes, I remember. And you're in the business now. I said, yes. And I pinned your son last night. (laughs) I bet he loved to hear that. Well, Dennis put me, you know, Dennis put me over, you know. Now, these are the kind of people we had access to. That is Carl Von Hess and Lee, his wife. They owned Carl Lee Motor Park, which was motorhomes and and trailer park. Um, We would go there. And sit with him and go in his spare room where he had all the stuff. And every time he went, he did the same thing. And he pulled stuff out and always gave us something. I have something here. I got to put it up. 
an old poster of him. And he told me the story about they used to sleep under the ring. So instead of getting a hotel, and he didn't want anybody to see them by sleeping on the ring. So quietly after they washed up after the match, they go under the ring and they sleep under there and get up in the morning and leave. So we had him wow. at our disposal and he was just, yeah. We we honored him uh, at the Outlaw shows. Yep. He was, he couldn't even, you know, keep a straight. He was crying. It was great. Uh, Billy, Billy Robinson on the, uh, in the plane going to Tokyo, another one of the guys we had access to over there. He put up with my drunken shenanigans on the plane and let me put him in an arm bar. You could see the smile on his face. And he also was the one who found my missing passport. So apparently oh, nice. it slid underneath my seat when the plane was going up. Uh, this is, uh, fast forward to 2000. This is the Outlaws of Wrestling. This is Ted Petty. Uh, Rocco Rock. So it was Rocco, it was Public Enemy uh, against the Pitbulls. So yes, you know, and here's another big name. You got Buddy Landell. So our cars were stacked. You know, we had everybody. If they weren't signed to a major group and I knew them, they were there. John Cronus, my absolute best buddy who I miss dearly. Now, on the right, we said this last time, on the right in that corner is a person that I'm sure people would know if they could get it. I don't, you can't get a, uh, more of that picture, uh, can you? No. no. That's no. Trent Acid behind me. Okay. Yeah. So not only did we have, you know, the best of the experienced guys, we had the stars that were yet to come. And here's me and Cronus. You know, we, we, we got charged a lot of money because they were charging like $250 for a broken table. And you know, we yeah, with all that blood, I'm sure they had fun charging. <laughs> yep. Look at that. I miss him. Quick 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 story. Um, I'm working for Panzerino and, and Gino Moore, and we're backstage, and John's smoking a cigarette, and Gino goes off and how I go, I stood up, I go, You fat piece of shit, you couldn't carry his jock strap. Who do you think you are talking to him like that? But John was like like a child, you know, meek. You know, he didn't care. Okay. I'm like, no way is he getting away with that. Very innocent minded. Yes. Um, and here's that. That's uh, me addressing the audience. And then this is Missy and little Jeannie Durso. Um, and we actually turned on her and beat her down. And this is after, you know, I got, I guess, knocked out. And here we are again, you know. It was a good time there. Now, this is. Uh, also at the truck, go back. That's Cousin Luke on the right. My dearest, best friend in the business. He didn't ever do anything but put me up there on top, pay me top dollar. Great guy. All right, coming up, you'll see um, me and little Guido outside the ring. You remember that ref right there? I forget his name. No. He was, I actually he don't. <laughs> I actually don't remember that one. Yeah, that was also post um, ECW. Okay, so that was, let's see, seven, eight, there we go. All right, post ECW, I, you know, I don't, of course, I don't know where that was, but, you know, that was, that look for me, uh, especially with the dog collar, the bald head, and the goatee, 
That's yeah, from God. this here to that. <laughs> yeah, right? But that's that's the real me. That's my gimmick for wrestling right there. Most comfortable in that and tend to be heelish. You know, I got meaner as I got older. Right there is William Towns, New Jersey, Dennis Carluzzo, supposed tournament final match for the NWA North American title against Devin Storm. And we, we did it up. Here's uh, some locker room shenanigans with none other than uh, Domino, my favorite, one of my favorite opponents to work. Uh, this piece of crap right here. Yeah, we can get back to that. Actually, you know what? If I didn't know what I knew, what I know now, even with my own experiences with him, what he did later on, I would have finished him right there. I had him. I could squeeze the life right out of him. So many of us wish that we could turn back time. Here's some more shenanigans with Dark Domino. That's cool, you know. Mm-hmm. Mike V. Mike V made all the belts for ECW. He made the North American belt. He was very tight with Alex Rizzo, Dick Dudley, and he disappeared. He has that agoraphobia, like he can't leave the house. And then oh, when, when Alex died, that was it. He disappeared. Uh, this is a moonsault onto Ian Rotten. And you recognize the uh, ceiling that's in um, Yardville. Great shot. Thank you. I like I like that. Uh, this is me, you know, uh, metamorphosed into, um, you know, more of a, of a heel. Um, and this is, again, working with, you see the T-shirt, working with the Darren and his brother. And they had a falling out. Never talked to each other. Uh, and this is 1995 when the Cauliflower Alley uh, convention came to New York. Um, and I'm not bragging. But honestly, I was a little blown away. I was outside the ballroom, sitting in the, you know, standing in the entranceway for no other reason. I'm not kidding. I got more people come up to me like I was, you know, this big deal and talk to me and talk. Like, I'm like, wow, you know, it was awesome. But this is the way you represent yourself. This is what the old guys did. That's me and Dan Severn. Uh, oh, thanks. Go to um, was that just, just for Dennis, right? NWA, yes, New Dennis. Jersey. So when I left ECW, I immediately got work with Dennis. Um, and you know they threw the whole the belt in the, in the garbage and all that. So now he says, "I want to, I want to, I want to do something for you." So we're gonna make you the North American champion, and then you'll have non-title matches against Dan Severn because you're over in Japan with him. You're friendly with him. You know, it was before he learned to work. He didn't, he, he didn't learn yet. He has to give a little something. This ain't the UFC. And you have to give us credibility by selling some of our stuff that we use. You know, so you see, I, I'm on top of my forearm in his face because right. I was not going to let him tell me how to do a business that I know how to do because he don't know that business. You got to listen to me here. You can't just go in and take me out like you do in MMA. It's not like that. So... Yeah, he learned after I, he gave me a hard time with, with Phyllis, that woman Phyllis. So yeah, this is a Phyllis Lee. You know, this is what yeah. you had at your disposal. I could go down to the art department at any time prior to the shows there and tell them what I wanted, and this is what they came up with. If I didn't like it, they change it, and they did everything: light boxes, uh, billboards on the highway with my arm on it. You know, they were they were good. It's nice to have a resource like that, and not only that. We had what's called a four-wall deal. 
And I waltz down to the bank down there, and they promptly handed me $80,000 in cash to go pay everybody, okay, which, you know, I, I wasn't paying that much, but paid everybody good, and we had a, a loaded car, and we went up in, in, with 80 grand and made up the envelopes. I'm like, wow, you know, that's how it was. They don't do that too much anymore. Um, right here, you know, mentor, one of my idols. I got off the phone with him a little while ago. And in reference to being a guest of ours and being interviewed at some point, he said I would be flattered. Oh. Well, you know what? I'm blown away. If Me too. Is flattered, you know, see, I never lost that. Well, um, I look forward to that. Yes. Um, just the best. Uh, mm -hmm. Quick story. I'm working South Mountain Arena. I changed my shift because I knew the wrestling was going to be there. They accommodated me. And Daniel Hammond's in the hallway. They had these uh, benches and, and rubber in the hallway for you to put, your, you know, take your skates off and on. So here's, he's got his foot up on it. He's got his bag over his shoulder. And here comes this kid who apparently announced himself as, well, I don't know if he, but he was his um, fan club president. And he said, I want to show you something. And he pulled out what had to be one of the first sheets ever. And he said, look at this. Your top 20, you made the top 20 in the world. Like me sitting there and hearing that, what it meant was most people would know that he was a jobber, know him as somewhat a competitive one with offense usually. But they didn't know, like Jabba Rook was Johnny Rods. Johnny Rods was low end here. But when he was Jabba Rook in California, he was the America's champion. Davies, it was the same way. When they left the area, they were brought, they were bigger, you know, bigger stars. They were given a bigger part of the program and higher up on the card. A guy by the name of Butcher Joe Nova. He's an Italian guy, wrestled for Vince on the prelims. Over there, he became Butcher Brannigan and was America's champion. So these guys had careers outside of WWF, but nobody knew it because it's not like today. You weren't going to see wrestling from Japan. Davey was one of those guys that went to Japan. You know, mm -hmm. like Mike Masters or Rocky Jones. You know Rocky Jones? Yes. He was another mid-card guy who fought Tatsumi Fujinami. So, when these guys left, they often were a big deal. But I knew that without knowing they went there to be a big deal because I could see through the facade that most of the guys that were putting guys over were better than the guys they were putting over. Now, those right. boots, right? I want to tell you a quick story. We have our friend Mitch there. Yep. Mitch Seinfeld. Yep. Our friend, our good friend there. One of the youngest promoters ever. So if you go back to the boots, right? They were made yes. uh, by Stagecoach. And I had them made when I was working at the Tropicana uh, in 2000. So I didn't get to use them very much after that. That's why they're in such good shape. But you'll see later, when I went to Tommy Fierro's show and I found out they wanted us to do a little something in the ring, I did the same thing I did uh, when I couldn't afford it uh, way back when. My wife said, you ain't going unless you got the right gear. Get it, keep it nice, and whatever it is, we'll pay for it because otherwise don't do it. And I always did that. So what I did was when Tommy invited us, was, that's the, the event, I had a pair of pants made, the, the shiny ones, that match those boots exactly. And, oh, and, nice. You know, my wife's not surprised 
that I got those made for one event because I'm not going out there looking like a rag. You know, it's bad enough I'm old and I'm crippled. I'm going there looking right. And that's they're what great boots. Learn today. Great looking you know, boots. Yeah, they're awesome. That's what these guys got to learn today. If you have and to, who are these guys buy, here, now, Tommy? Oh, this is is um, that Steve Lawrence in there? I don't know, but I'll tell okay. you, my my one of my students, Josh Adams, trains people at that Adrenaline Sports Complex in Bayville, New Jersey. So they invited me down, um, and I watched them work and do what they were going to do. And when it was over, you know, the owner—I don't know his name—was gracious. Said, "Tommy, can you talk to the kids?" said, absolutely. And the number one thing I tell these guys, um, mostly if there's not a girl there, uh, when they ask for like some kind of general tip or, or advice for life, I said, yes, it's a man's nature. Most wild young guys to try to conquer anything and everything. But I'll tell you this, don't go out of your way to conquer anything. If it comes to you, you make a decision whether it's good, bad, or otherwise. But remember this. You push the blow, you're going to see stuff that you can't unsee. And that's not an easy thing when you have a family. The more you know about the evil that works in the heart of men, the more worried you are for your family. And Of course. You don't want to tell your family those things because they should never have to hear it. So that's what I tell them. Don't look to conquer everything. Slow your roll. Think as much before you make a, a decision and always look. I was told by an electrician, the key to being good at this job is to look three and even four steps ahead. So if you know you've got to leave this area to go do a little job, think about every single thing that might happen, that could happen, or that you're going to need so you don't have to run back and forth. Good advice, you know. So or we're looking at the... We're looking at the Independent Wrestling Lifetime Achievement Award you got from ISPW and Tommy Fierro uh, several months yeah. back. So uh, yeah. there goes that. Very nice award there. And some people you received the award with uh, right yep, here. There you are. Uh, Mike Kalua, Sunny Beach, Tommy you, Tommy Cairo, and Ray Odyssey yeah. in this picture. Uh, yeah. All receiving Lifetime Achievements Award there and looking great you know what's unique about that is it's not just four random guys that worked around the same time we all worked together at one time or another so it was great to be sitting there lacing up our boots all these years later it was great there goes one with uh andrew anderson Anderson. and ray odyssey yeah andrew anderson told me a few years ago when we went to docs to get awards i was scared to death of you he goes, really? Oh, I, knew, I knew it's a work. He goes, but man, the intensity that you carried around with you. And I'm like, what? You know, I'm like, I'm oblivious. You hated me? He goes, bro, everybody was scared of you. I'm like, cool. And maybe it's because I worked with Manny for two years. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and who's that? Okay. That's Mrs. Peaches all these years later. Oh. Oh, that's, that's Peaches. Lori. That's Lori, yeah. All right, Lori. Where was this? Hamburg Fieldhouse. All right. Oh, about six months ago. Oh, here goes the tights, Tommy. Yeah, there's the pants. See the I am for Iron Man. That's my design. Nice. E Lucha. E Lucha. The guy was so great. When I called him and told him how pleased I was, 
he was like, oh, so happy. And here's me, the last time in the ring and for the first time in over 20 years. Uh, you know, I'm not looking too bad. Um, looks I great. Abs, nobody else did. And most, <laughs> right. of those, most of those guys are two times, you know, twice as young as me. But again, here goes the proof. I bought those pants for one show. You know, I go to the events. I, I got to hope I sell pictures. I, I'm not in it for the money, but I can't be because I spend more on something new to wear to go to the thing, you know? So, you know, that's what these young guys have to think about. They have to think about, you know, how you present yourself. Listen, if you're going to, you're training and you're going to break in shortly, don't break in unless you got your gear. Just wait. You know, don't be another guy in kick pads and amateur shoes and the whole nine yards. Um, you know, so well, there's a change of. Go ahead. We're going to move on to ECW. Okay. Uh, we're rolling up on an hour and a half here. Yep. So uh, quickly. Yeah, let me get stuff we got we to gotta cover on that. To us. Okay, at the stream. Okay. All right, so, in, so, intro to ECW. First off, uh, yeah, I want to read this uh, article from Ring the Damn Bell that I found. Yep. And this says, in 1993, when the ECW was just beginning, Tommy Cairo was extremely, no pun intended, instrumental in help shaping how ECW's wrestling style would be different compared to the other mainstream federations. Kyra was originally aligned with the Sandman and helped assist Sandman in his feud with Jason Knight. The friendship ended with a temporary blinded Sandman accidentally hit Peaches, Sandman's wife. Kyra went to the aid of Peaches. As Sandman began to regain his sight, he saw Kyra helping Peaches to her feet and attacked Kyra thinking Tommy knocked down Peaches. This is the what brought the Singapore Kane into the ECW and put the Sandman over as its master. For the next year, their feud was what legends were made of. Awesome. One so of that's people... Ring the Damn Bell. And we have another one here that's only a portion of... Um, it's, it's just a portion, but I'm going to read it anyway. Um, here we go. Entering to Queen's famous We Will Rock You anthem, Tommy Cairo joined Eastern Championship Wrestling in 1993 as one of the most popular grapplers in the local area. That year, he won a battle royal to become the NWA Pennsylvania Heavyweight Champion, a title he held for nearly three months. In ECW, he became an ally of the Sandmans by forming a tandem to battle... <laughs> Jason, uh, known as the sexiest man alive, but the pairing soon crumbled when Kyra became involved with Sandman's wife, Peaches. Uh, now, this was a quote. I don't know if Tommy Kyra finds this interesting or not. This is from Paul Heyman, wonder to WWE Classics. But the fact that he'll go down in history as a Sandman's foil is quite ironic because going into their storyline, Tommy Kyra was one of the hottest wrestlers in the Northeast independent scene. One would think a rivalry between Cairo and the Sandman would be designed to spotlight Tommy Cairo, but the Sandman was our star on the rise. Less than two weeks after a widely discussed caning of an American citizen in Singapore in 1994, Cairo and the Sandman faced off in a Singapore caning match. The two brawlers had several more matches involving the Canes throughout the year, including their most famous 
a dueling canes match at the first heat wave event in 1994. The man who became known, nicknamed Pay Your Bills, uh, which is great, was also the catalyst of the famous rivalry between the Sandman and Tommy Dreamer. But it was Cairo's matches with the hardcore icon that revolutionized extreme rules for wrestling. It was a turning point in ECW regarding just how far we're going to take our very non-PG rated content, Heyman said. How's that for a diplomatic way to phrase that? Well, I, unbeknownst to me, he said some positive things. Um, so I think what we should do, how much time do you think you want? How much longer do you want to go? Because I can be Asian, what I want to say. Okay, if you just, yeah, if you just want to kind of wrap up the ECW stuff, yeah. and I will uh, go through some pictures as we go along. Okay, so, so. basically, um, that's my favorite, that black and white with us swinging the canes. Um, okay. Here's the, the truth which you probably never heard it accurately, um, as when they chronicle ECW, they usually start at Tommy Dreamer. There are a couple exceptions, but you have to dig hard to find them. So, this is you versus Eddie Gilbert, yep. you and Glenn Osborne versus Eddie Gilbert. Yep. Uh, here's an early one of you and uh, Lloyd. Yes, Lloyd. Yep. And then here's uh, you and Ivan Koloff. Yep. He was, he was great. Put me over twice. A gentleman. Yeah, look at that. It was awesome. With the chain wrapped around your head. Great shot. Yep, that's one of my favorite pictures. You People and say, I... why, why do you show so many pictures with you at a disadvantage? When you see a picture of me at a disadvantage, it's with a guy who's a legend. So I'm happy to show that the Iron Cleach, uh, the Iron Sheik put me in a, the, the camel clutch. I'm glad to show... Uh, Ivan Koloff whipping me with the chain. I even added my weight to make the chain tighter. So it's an honor to work with these guys. That's why a picture of me being choked by Ivan, to me, is more valuable than a picture of me, you know, on, on, over him. Um, this was uh, right around the beginning of the ECW. Um, Damian Stone is on the other page. Um, we debuted at the Philadelphia um, Sports Bar and shocked Todd Gordon, he got a standing ovation. You know, it, it was awesome. Um, that's the night that Tony Stetson showed me how to make a blade the right way. Here's me with the, the, uh, the uh, Pennsylvania title. Uh, it's me and Snooker. Um, next to that was uh, some Japan stuff, which um, I was doing while I was in ECW, which way they were not very happy about, um, resulting in uh, a match with Kevin Sullivan, Called a shoot match, but he, he beat me in three minutes by knocking me out with the ring bell. So that was Paulie's twisted way of saying, oh, you're doing shoot wrestling? So you're doing shoot wrestling, but we're not. I'll show you shoot wrestling. Okay. Uh, you see the, the double size of my fist? <laughs> I, sh I should have made yeah. you know, gave him one. Now, Kev Kevin was good, but he liked me, and he should have said, let's not do that, Paul. Because a lot of Paul's stuff and angles were just – you know, for his own enjoyment and to knock other people. Humiliate, humiliate people, other people, pretty much. Yeah. So here's you yeah, and Hack in a nice black and white yeah. photo. I love that, you know. That's what old wrestling looks like. You know, I, I like that. Um, let's see what else we got. More, you know, more of the same, beaten with the cane. You know, I was numb to it after a while. 
and there was a kid that reviewed our Singapore candy match. You should have heard this guy. They were like he was over out of control about how vicious it was, you know. And it was we 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 made it look real by being we were swinging those we weren't holding back swinging those those canes because guess what? It's made of freaking rattan. It's, you know, you're 240 pounds of muscle. That thing's not going to really hurt you unless you get poked somewhere. And we'll have to touch that on that too, because it can be a dangerous weapon when it's used in areas it's not meant to be used in. Um, yeah, so and here's the result of uh, the caning, yeah. and you and Peaches here. Yeah, and I got to tell how this, you know, this, the whole not telling the truth, and this picture here, this is part of what Paulie's presentation was after that Michael Fay got caned in Singapore. He addressed the locker room and wanted volunteers to do a bunch of angles using the cane kendo stick and he made it a point to say you'll have to get color on almost all the matches and it won't just be your head so you know a lot nobody raised their hand but me and sandman so when people want to take credit for what we did i get upset that's the answer is that he asked for volunteers nobody did we raised our hands and they weren't drinking the kool-aid yet the whole locker room so they came up to us after we volunteered and said well you know, what is he going to ask you to do next? You know, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. But they all continued for 20 years with the hardcore style. So, you know, um, the truth is, I lay claim, you know, Tommy Dreamer, the innovator of violence. I think he's the innovator of garbage. Pardon? And we had do, been doing a year of this before Tommy Dreamer got involved, okay, and we, so basically we cooked the food, we set the table and they sat down to dinner. Uh, so so after your, after your feud with, uh, you know, your whole pairing with Peaches and your feud with the Sandman, uh, then the things evolved from yes. then. Yep. And uh, the whole storyline is somehow Lori Peaches was with Tommy Dreamer. Uh, which is a match here we're not going to show, but right. you know it's it's there. It was a mixed tag team match uh, that we had, and this was after my introduction as the Virgin Princess Angel. Yeah, also you can see promo. that promo, on, right? On YouTube. So after I was introduced as the Virgin Princess Angel, who is interfering in your relationship and whatever you had going with Peaches, um, then we had. How many matches? Uh, let's not, see. Not not too many. Not too many. Here's us from Hamburg Fieldhouse. Oh, it's my favorite picture. That's a good one. And um, it, it, that night, it, it, I don't know, Peaches didn't show up. So I was training Francine at the ECW Arena at the time. So I wanted her to work, and I, I flipped out on Paul. I was like, I really wanted her to work. Yelled at him and everything. Ended up giving her the tights that I was going to wear, and I wore some shabby-looking tights. And there goes us at the end of the match. Uh, you're pulling Francine off of me there. That was one of her first matches, I believe. Uh, she must have not made a big impression on me because, as I told you, I don't ever remember being in the same ring with her. Yeah, <laughs> I sure, do right? recall you saying that. And then we got into um, our match, which was yourself and me 
the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo, and the Virgin Princess Angel uh, with the Sandman and Woman versus Cactus Jack and Tommy Dreamer. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Okay. So basically, um, I didn't know a lot of what was going on that was negative regarding uh, yourself, but that was by design because they knew if I'd have known, there would have been some payback. I would never allow some of the stuff that went on if I was privy to it, but we weren't. I was left out of that, and as we'll see, they had a habit, Paul and company, of going off script and going into business for themselves and forgetting that it's a work and changing things without letting everybody involved know. So while I'm selling outside the ring, doing what I'm supposed to do, um, but let me say this. First of all, you should never, ever have to worry about going into a, a wrestling ring and somebody going into business for themselves. It's a work, guys. You're there to work together. When you leave the other people out of your plan, you're just being a complete idiot. So I didn't know. So, so to, to wrap up and to get to where you're getting at, uh, the end of the match, as we all agreed, would be Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, caning me in the head. I got some color, and that was the end of the match, as we all knew it, as we all understood. Well, at right. the end of the match, instead of, uh, you know, me just getting the color and leaving the ring, being stretched out, Tommy Dreamer went and picked up the cane. I'm sorry, first initially you'll see here in this picture he came over to me and kicked me in my face okay just see that right very unnecessary didn't know that this was going on so then he takes the cane and lifts my legs up in the air as you could see there with the cane in position, I figured at that point I would go with it. I wasn't told it was going to be done, but I would go with it anyway. You know, no one had done this before. No one had done cane shots to the crotch. I didn't know how it would affect me or how, how it would turn out, but I was willing to go with it. I knew it would hurt, but I was not expecting uh, exactly what happened. Now, to, um, to, to just explain this a little bit, Tommy, you know, when you get hit by the cane, it's got a pullback on your skin. Yep. Like well, it what did. Happens, what happens so, when you, it hits, it spreads. Before it comes back, it pinches. Right. Okay, so Tommy Dreamer proceeds to um, open my legs up and cane me as hard as he could in my private area. Okay. And he went down with it, which hurt, but then he pulled it up, which then pulled up some skin. So um, I was oh ter terribly injured by this and for, <laughs> for months at a time. But tell them what he said. Uh, he, said he picked up the microphone and said, we're the ones who burst her cherry. All right, now think about that. That's pre-planned. And what it is... is and pre-planned, they, they told me, Paul told me, don't wear underwear before yeah. the match. What? And I'm trying to figure out, well, why wouldn't I wear underwear? And now I know. Well, he was, that was designed for her pleasure or whatever to make you not the virgin princess angel. That's why he made that statement. So he didn't, he's not smart enough to come up with that last minute on the run. Absolutely not. Ahead of time. And the thing is, is after, oh. after that, uh, that was in December, 
So, um, you know, I, I, I was going to, I, I went backstage and I was like, is this normal to Jason? And he was like, that's terrible. I showed Paul. Paul said it was probably fucked up like that to begin with, you oh, know, make so more comments about it. Oh, so then I stayed as long as I could to take pictures and whatever. And when it, the pain was just too bad, I had Jason who was supposed to be bringing me to the hospital, bring me to my parents' house. And, uh, you know, my dad saw what was going on. He brought me to the hospital he made me promise not to go back there again, and I yeah. didn't. And I actually got to stay with them for a, a good six weeks, from December to about uh, February or so, mid-February. And after promising not to go back, I went ahead and Paul called me and said, bring your wedding dress. I got something for you in February, months later. So right. by that time, I, I, I was injured. I couldn't work out. I couldn't do anything. I gained a massive amount of weight, and we're talking like – over 60 pounds or so. So I didn't fit in that little dress that I fit in previous. So I had to go out and buy a wedding dress and I snuck my way over there, you know, to, to please him and, you know, his demands. And I get there and I'm put in an angle with, uh, for some reason, Jason and the Pipples and Jason the Terrible. And that, uh, and if anyone saw it, it was the issue with the situation with Hack Myers and um, I, I had no reason to be there. Hack Myers, I couldn't even get in the ring because I could barely walk and, you know, from the injury. And Hack Myers was to give me a pile driver. As and you I can still see didn't here. know any of this. Well, Hack didn't know, no. I wasn't a big complainer, so I wasn't telling everyone my business. But as you can see there, I couldn't get in the ring at first. And then once I did... After the first few punches or whatever, he went to pile drive me and I couldn't even lift my legs up in the air. I was so injured. So uh, that's my legs ended up collapsing over the top of my head and hurting my neck really bad. So and after that, the audience sang their na 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 goodbye song. And that's when I knew that it was pretty much planned for me to leave. And that was my exit out. So that's how I left ECW and then, you know, you were gone uh, in December and then I was gone in February, two months after that, uh, just because I guess they injured me and didn't feel need to have me around. You know, me. just by the so, statement that he made, this is low life, scum of the earth, deviant, criminal behavior by a man you know what, Tommy? We're going to get to we're going to get to that and a lot more in future episodes of Wrestling Rewind. And also, we have our show, our new show coming up, Wrestling Archives. So we hope yep. that you'll all join us for that, and I hope that you join my interview with Tommy Cairo and got to know everything you've ever wanted to know. And uh, look forward to our interviews coming up here on Wrestling Rewind. And hope that you'll join us back very soon. Uh, thank you, Tommy, for You're that in-depth interview. It was great. Uh, and until You're next welcome. time, have a great night and a great life. Good night. <laughs>